That was, that was the wrong button. <laughs> Hello and welcome to A Muggle's Perspective. We're going to be covering chapters 25 through 28 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Just me today. Um, just going to be kind of roguey telling you what I assume Braden's thinking. So you got like, it's probably probably looking at like four or five hours tonight of sort of vamping, you know, just filling time, filling, filling the airspace. And I hope you enjoy it. This is a Shout out to all my big fans out there, everyone that requested a solo episode. Uh, Hannah, mostly, mostly just Hannah, wanted to hear me, or just wanted Braden to not be on, so uh, this one's for you. This goes out to uh, Storm. Oh, look! looks like we got a caller here. You know, I, I never just check the howler as it's happening, but uh, I guess uh, I guess we're going to bring this person on. Hi, you are live in a Muggle's Perspective. Hey, guys. Uh, first time caller, big fan. Uh-huh. And I am a Ravenclaw. Okay. Hi, hi, a Ravenclaw. Um, oh, <laughs> forgot my name. <laughs> name is Jimothy. Well, Jimothy, it's, uh, it's good to have you on. You know, we always say we love accents on here, and you're definitely not from... The same part of the Midwest as I am, and I, I can appreciate that. So I look forward to you really having having that accent pretty consistently for the next four hours as you're my co-host. Absolutely. I have blocked out the entire night. I'm ready to record until 2 a.m. Mm-hmm. and talk all about Harry Potter. Yeah. Well, that's good. Uh, that's what we're here for is just talking all about Harry Potter. Um, normally, I'd be here with Brayden, who's a muggle. And when I say muggle, I guess I'm saying he's like dumb because he doesn't know anything. So uh, totally, I could not agree more. I think this episode is long overdue. Need to get that moron off the air. Mm-hmm. Let's get some intelligent Harry Potter talk mm-hmm. on here. So, so you're like a longtime listener, then, Jimothy. Um, longtime listener. Yeah. What What would your thoughts be on instead of having Braden on, just like a rotating cast of like the regular? sort of people we hear from, like we could have Chad on, we could have Carla on, we have Steven on, uh, my mom. W- would that be better, you think, than having Braden? Absolutely. I like where your head's at. Okay, I think that'll be good. Um, I don't know, okay. how, to, I don't I know how to transition. I can't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm here, and I'm ready to talk about these chapters. Good, I'm glad you are. I am ready too. Um, if you're here with us on Chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay, and you've read these four chapters or are actively reading them for some reason, and this is how you do that, by listening at the same time, some action-packed chapters, Brayden. Yep, there is a lot going on. A lot of important stuff. And I feel like this is J.K.R. directly responding to us, complaining about how not quite enough was going on the last couple chapters. Yeah, and I appreciate her taking into account my opinion and my feelings. Yeah, So from like 15 years in the future, too, which was right. smart of her, yeah. Yeah, she is skilled. Uh, so starting out here, Chapter 25, The Beetle at Bay, um, opens up with the with a newspaper article here. 
Mass breakout from Azkaban. Ministry fears Black is rallying point for old Death Eaters. So, what was your what was your take on that? Um, just like your first reaction to okay, I got a big breakout from Azkaban here. Um, first reaction: the ministry is desperate here with this Daily Prophet article because I mean, if you really read it with everything that Harry and Dumbledore have been talking about, like it's kind of a stretch. I think. Yeah. Like just basically like, ah, well, Sirius Black is cousins with one of the 10 escapees. And we know he's out there somewhere. Yeah. So he probably broke them all out of Azkaban, Mm -hmm. all 10 of them. Yeah. Without anybody knowing. And he waited until now to do it, which was smart of him. Yeah. Yep. So, I think the ministry is scrambling and kind of gives an opportunity, as we'll see later on, for Harry to kind of gain some more members on his team, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, it gives Harry's story some credibility. I mean, even before that happened, let's see if I'm on page 549, something like that, 550. Um, it talks about how students are already kind of like whispering and looking at Harry, but not in a negative way. Like, okay, this is like some nonsense. Like, could we, do we actually have to think about Harry and Dumbledore being right? I mean, it's just, it's the only alternate story. Looks like we had some technical difficulties here. Lost Braden, but I'm calling him again. Hello, hello. Hello. Um, I didn't do video just in case that was what happened, but that's great. My Skype just That'll like, work. I looked up and like, it was just not there anymore. So I don't know what happened. What's the last thing you heard? I don't even know now. Um, I was saying that I think I'm on page, uh, five fifty here and it's talking about, oh, so it was true that Harry was the subject of much renewed muttering and pointing in the corridors these days, yet he thought he detected a slight difference in the tone of the whisperers' voices. They sounded curious rather than hostile now. So it seems like they're already, just from the breakout thing, like you said, not super convinced by the ministry's version of events, they're already looking to Harry and Dumbledore for some truth, for some answers. Yeah, I think, I mean, a bare minimum this the holes in this line of thinking that the daily prophet has put out um at bare minimum has raised some curiosity or raised some questions with people which i think is a huge um wave of momentum maybe for harry and dumbledore yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a turning of public opinion, some kind of tide, hopefully, at least as far as what we're seeing here. Yeah. Now, the next thing I have down is, uh, just on the next page, page 551, Educational Decree number 26. And this is where, like, this is just nonsense. Teachers are hereby banned from giving students any information that is not strictly related to the subjects they are paid to teach. Yeah, I it's it's comedic at this point. Like I I don't like at this point you just don't even know where it stops. And 
I guess I was kind of wondering, like, if this keeps going on and kids bring some of this home to their parents and, uh, you know, when, when school breaks or whatever, and like, hey, this is what we're dealing with now, like, are kids going to start withdrawing? Like, will attendance numbers go down at Hogwarts? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, what's the long-term play here by Umbridge and the Ministry? Like, you can think that this is going to help in the short term with what you're dealing with at Hogwarts, but... Like ten years down the line, you're you're gonna look back at this and like it's not justifiable educationally. Like this is obvious. It's like an obvious like political move to be doing some yeah. of these things. Yeah. So that's where I think that 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 article plays into that as well. I mean, the students aren't the only ones reading this. Yeah. And so if if you know parents are at home reading this, kind of thinking, well, maybe there's maybe there's something to Harry and Dumbledore's line of thinking here and then their students come home and tell them hey like i can't even like i'm not allowed to talk about anything my teachers can't talk about anything teachers are getting fired like it's crazy around here like mm-hmm. you wonder if that's going to affect the long-term health of hogwarts in general which as long as umbridge is in charge i hope that happens right like let's not I, prop I mean, up the establishment for her right right and I think that at some point this all has to blow up in Fudge's face. Yeah. Um, I'm I th- I'm sure we will talk here in a minute a little bit more about that topic of people both inside and outside Hogwarts starting to doubt the ministry line, what we've been hearing so far. Um, until then, so we've got just really quickly a little bit of Umbridge is just watching all of these lessons. She's got a lot, of, she's, Got Hagrid and Trelawney on probation. No one's happy about that. Uh, But I wanted to get your thoughts here on page 554. I guess it starts at the end of 553, um, but it's about occlumency. So this is just another one of those conversations where Harry's like, it's not going well. I feel like it's getting worse, not better. And... Then he's saying, what if it's the lessons that are making it worse? Like, what if Snape is actively trying to make me more accessible as opposed to less with these occlumency lessons? I wanted to get your thoughts on that theory. I mean, it's not a stretch in my mind. Um, We don't know that Snape is fully converted from being a Death Eater. Mm -hmm. We've talked about this at length in previous episodes. Um it seems like an oversight in Dumbledore's. It seems like an oversight for Dumbledore to me to have Snape all alone with Harry teaching this kind of thing. Um, but also raises the question of like, Hey, we've like Dumbledore's never given us a reason to not trust him in the past. Right. So you kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt. But I mean, like as Ron is talking about, like, I mean, it doesn't seem like Harry's improving, and Snape obviously, like, doesn't like Harry (laughs) outside of anything to do with the Order or what is or isn't going on with Voldemort, like, just hates Harry in general. So, like, I, I mean, we definitely can't confirm that this is actually helping. Um... Yeah, obviously one th- there'll be a lo- no, no, no. Keep going. I'm sorry. What one thing that and you know we'll talk about this later, but um, 
you know, Harry makes mention, I don't know if it's in this chapter or the next one, that, like, um, Snape keeps, meant, like, referring to Voldemort mm-hmm. as the Dark Lord. Yeah, true. And it was crazy. I was listening to this today, these chapters, and when I heard that, it was <laughs> kind of interesting because I had been thinking that like the previous like five or six minutes of listening to it, like, man, it seems like the last time, the last few lessons of Occlumency, like it, Snape is always using that term, like the dark Lord, not like, you know, who he, who must not be named yeah. like him or anything like that. He's still, he's the only one. And so like for Harry to say that, I was kind of like, yes, that's what I'm thinking too. Right. And that coupled with what Ron is talking about here made me like, Probably more skeptical of Snape than I ever have been. So we're at a we're at a peak for you of Snape skepticism. Yeah, just and I'm choosing I feel like I've said this a lot lately. I'm choosing to believe that Dumbledore if Snape is questionable, like Dumbledore's one step ahead and knows that. Oh, interesting. Um So Dumbledore's got it set up where if Snape's he trusts Snape, but if he's good, then great. And if he's not, then we're still we've still got a backup plan, or like we're going to use it for good. I I think so because Dumbledore is not, in my opinion, dumb enough to put someone who is a Death Eater convert in the supervision of Harry in this like super fragile time. Yeah. Having him having him teach him something that's like what we would think is super important right now with what with everything that's going on. Like that seems like way too big of like way too big of a ball to drop on Dumbledore's part as like a powerful and smart of a wizard as he is. So I like as skeptical of Snape as I am, I don't like I don't have this feeling like, oh, Dumbledore, you're missing it. Like he's going to get him killed. There's got to be part of a larger plan. I Yeah, it feels that way, yeah. for sure. Uh, we're going to move right from super serious occlumency to Harry's date with Cho in Hogsmeade. Like, this, these chapters just really roller coasts between, like, extreme Voldemort situations and, like, you know, social anxiety and, like, Twitter patient of high schoolers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, doesn't doesn't go super well. Yeah, so I just want to kind of clear the floor. All I have written down is Cho. So, like, even without looking it up necessarily, what is your blow-by-blow blow of, like, how the whole Cho date kind of goes down? And, like, what are some of the reasons for its, uh, let's say, failures or successes? Um... So... The whole thing ends up going downhill because Hermione wants Harry and Cho, well, wants Harry to meet her um, at the Three Broomsticks to discuss how they're going to combat, like, this article Mm -hmm. in the Daily Prophet. And, like, now that that we know that, like, that makes sense. Right. I get it, And it's a good plan, and it's important, and she is a big help in that way. And thinking ahead... All the things that have made her the MVP in the last few books. Yeah. That's great. Um, I thought, even when she proposed it, that like, man, 
is this the best timing for this? Like, is this something that we could do later that evening or the next morning? Mm -hmm. Kind of inconsiderate. Don't know if it's on purpose or not. Oh, with all that being said, yeah. Like I, I'm not saying Hermione wants Harry, but I'm not saying that she doesn't. Right. And that's important. That's important. And I think that's going to create more conflict as we go on. But with all that being said, Harry, and I, I think Hermione points this out to him later, says that he did not have any tact going about how yeah. to propose this. And he didn't. She is right. But Hermione could count on that. Like it's, it's theoretically possible that she could have planned this whole thing knowing that Harry would go into it tactlessly. So it's still his fault. Oh, I think. Like she set him up to fail. That's I. That's how I think about it. Um, her like intentions that. were good with what she's trying to get done with Rita Skeeter and all that, and it's super smart. And I think a real MVP move. But I think that there are ulterior motives as well. So we've got the that Hermione seed that's sort of running behind everything. Um, and then there's one other big sort of sticking point between Harry and Cho that does not lend itself to a particularly cheery afternoon together. Cho can be in the middle of any conversation and is like, actually, can we talk about my dead boyfriend that you watched, guy? <laughs> yeah. Oh, you yeah. know what? Why don't you want to talk about it? Are you, are you just a jerk? Yeah, so like as tactless as Harry was, Cho is like a hard date. Yeah. Yeah. Like tough I mean, crowd. She is, yeah, she is hot and cold, up and down. Like, can't wait to see you. Let's go into this coffee shop where everybody else is making out, and let's talk about dead Cedric, Dedrick. Yeah, Dedrick. So it, that's, I mean, that's all around confusing for Harry. So, if you're trying to defend him, I mean, that's an easy place to start. Yeah, she isn't exactly trying to like talk this through with Harry. She's not level-headed. She's also just sending a ton of mixed signals. Yeah, true. Which I, is is easy for me to say from like the guy's perspective or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. okay, if you're all in on Harry, like it probably isn't uh, building his confidence for you to continue bringing up how much you miss Cedric. I get that that's there, and you have to deal with those feelings. Maybe not with Harry. Maybe with a friend or a counselor at school. Yeah, she makes it really clear that she feels like she has to deal with it with Harry because Harry knew him through the tournament and, like, was there during the death. Yeah, is, and that's it, fair. It, it seems but... like kind of a short-sighted way to look at it. He's just like, I, I told you I was there and he got killed by Voldemort. Like, that's what happened. This wasn't a book with, like, monologues and stuff. It wasn't Romeo and Juliet situation. Like, he just died. I yeah. can't give you more than that. Well, like, and I would argue that Harry barely even knew Cedric before all this. Yeah. So it's not like they had some crazy friendship built through the Triwizard Tournament. Mm -hmm. So tough stuff for Harry with Cho. Let's see if I can see. That's the Harry and Cho's love life sound going there, which I'm sure you're not, like, you're not happy about, but you're not crazy upset about. Yeah, it's just kind of one of those things. I think eventually it's going to fizzle out anyways. Not that you have anything specific in mind that's going to take its place, but you know. 
Yep, I have said it before. I'll say it again. He's meant to be with Jenny. <laughs> or possibly Hermione. Ooh. I mean, how do, who who are we to say? I don't know. Yeah, I love that theory. Um Hermione is like I said, setting Harry up to fail, putting like not not doing the thing, but putting himself in a situation to dig his own grave. And then so like she gets done what she wants, the interview with Rita, which we're gonna get to right now, and also Harry and Cho don't go well. She covers her tracks at the beginning of the next chapter. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Uh, that moves us on. We've got one last thing, and it's it's the whole Rita Skeeter thing for this chapter. Yeah. Yeah. So w- were you expecting this? Was it totally out of the blue? It was pretty out of the blue for me. I did not... Um... I didn't see this coming, and I—that's—I like I said earlier, like I was pretty impressed with Hermione on this one. Not—not not that I shouldn't like expect that from her. She's always thinking a couple steps ahead, but mm-hmm. just using that leverage against Rita Skeeter in this situation is pretty clutch. Yeah. So, I mean, basically, she says you're going to write this story because I'm making you, and you're going to actually tell the truth about Harry. And what's going on with it? Yeah, and Rita basically Which has to says, be pretty humiliating for Rita Skeeter, yeah. like being ordered around by a fifteen-year-old girl. I mean, like I don't feel too bad for her because at the end of the day, she wrote a super successful story. Right. Like spoilers, you know, for the next chapter, but like this works out for her and from a career move perspective. Yeah, yeah, it does so, for sure. But yeah, and I, mean, I think Hermione not, probably knew that too yeah. going into it. Like, it's going to be something everyone's going to want to read, you know, good or bad. Yeah, because like yeah. yeah, when Rita keeps saying like no one wants to read that, it's against public opinion. People want to read this certain type of story. Like that just doesn't seem true at all. I feel like people are going to want to read anything about Harry Potter they can get their hands on, and then they'll do the job themselves of twisting it negative if they have to, if they feel like they right. have to. Right. So. And then Luna's just there. Luna's literally humming Weasley is our king, like just sitting there while Harry and Ron and Rita have this like really intense conversation about like the political motives of the editors of the Daily Prophet. That's kind of the summary of Luna throughout this book so far, right? Like she's just there. Yeah. So that's good. Um, Anything else on this chapter? Before we get to do we care, a lot of strong do we cares. Uh, no, let's see what we care about. Okay. So do we care, I skipped over this in the beginning, about the death of Broderick Bode. It's the second Daily Prophet article at the beginning of the chapter. Um, I didn't when I first read it. The more we learn in later chapters, you feel like you need to care about it a little bit. Yeah, Harry and Ron and Hermione keep bringing it up. In relation to Harry's dreams about, like, the weapon at the ministry. Right. Yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's an important clue moving forward as to what Voldemort is doing and where he's at. It's going to tie in somewhere, but it's just hard to say right now what that is. Yeah. Yeah, so we care. Uh, Do we care about the probations with Trelawney? I mean, this isn't really fair because we know how this stuff plays out, so we'll skip that one, I guess. Uh, Do we care about... The description of Neville's improvement and DA lessons. This is the chapter where we get those like three paragraphs on how well Neville's been doing and learning all these new spells. 
Yeah, yeah, I I do care because, and I I think I've said this already, but I think this is the book. This is like Neville's coming out party in this book. I think that he is going to be important in the face-off with Voldemort and or the Death Eaters at the end of this book, Miles Beneath the School. So this is, we care in that it is confirming your existent theory. Yeah, like I just, I think that as much as JKR has made an effort so far in this book to like weave Neville into the story and talk about the backstory with his parents. And like, like you said, we're taking three paragraphs to talk about how much he's improving. Um, I just think this is the book where Neville finds some confidence, finds some purpose. Um, especially with the death eaters breaking out. Um, and Bellatrix Lestrange, the one who tortured his parents, like that's he's got some vengeance on the brain, I think. Oh yeah. And he keeps saying that, like people need to know about not right. only what he can do, but what his Death Eaters can do. Right. So he makes that pretty clear. Do we care about Madame Buddyfoot's this coffee tea shop? Uh, I think it's a little weird. She just hosts this place for teenagers to come in and make out. Um, but overall, no, I don't care. <laughs> okay. Uh, I think that's what we've got for Do We Care? On this show. That was not... I was just going to press a random one and hope that it applied, and that one didn't work. There we go. Do We Care? Chapter 26, Seen and Unforeseen. Kind of a lot going on in here as well. Another pretty packed chapter. Um, let's see. So the first point I have here is Hermione's explanation of like what Harry did wrong and why Cho didn't like it. Harry's lack of tact. So I guess you could see this one of two ways. This could be sincere or this could be like her you know, showing the receipts, like, oh, look, I didn't try to break you up. You should have just done this and this. Like, it's her, you know, she could be covering her tracks, like I said, about doing this on purpose. Yeah, and it was a little bit annoying on her end, I thought, as the reader. Because it's kind of, like I like I said, having the feeling that she did all this uh, kind of on purpose. Right. It was. It's kind of like a uh, slap in the face to Harry afterwards. <laughs> Like insult to injury a little bit. Like, oh wow, Harry, you you really were tactless. How could you how could you say it like that? So we're on five seventy two here. She's like, You shouldn't have told me you wanted to meet me halfway through your date. And Harry's like, That's what you told me to tell her. She said, You should have told her differently. You should have said it was really annoying, but I'd made you promise to come along to the three broomsticks and you really didn't want to go and you'd much rather spend the whole day with her and you think I'm ugly. It's like, who thinks like in the in paragraphs like that, Hermione? Right, like she she thought about this beforehand. I think that's the paragraph that gives her away. It's like me thinks that doth protest too much. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a pr- probably a pretty good point by you there about gives it away that's been premeditated. Yep, I don't think that's just off the top of her head. Which, to be fair, like, 
yes, I think that she knew all that and kind of like set Harry up for that. But Harry also like didn't think it through. Like there is some truth to what she's saying. Uh, next point I've got here, Occlumency lesson. Yes. Wait, did I put these in the wrong order? I did put these in the wrong order. That comes later. Okay, the next point is the article has been printed. They get a copy of it, and then they start getting mail. So we alluded to this conversation earlier, but what it, to see what you thought about all these letters they're getting, people agree, disagree, um, the effect that the article seems to be having on the school and the wizarding community at large. Yeah, I mean, it, it has mixed reviews. They have believers now and people who it just confirmed for them that he's crazy. Um, but I, I feel like even with the people that think he's crazy, it, it's still a win because it's, it's getting people talking and it's, it's kind of throwing a roadblock in what the ministry is doing as far as just like kind of snowing everybody like, okay, everything's fine. We've told you everything's fine. You know, there's the Death Eaters have been have broken out Azkaban, but here's the explanation for that. Everything's still fine. Umbridge is in charge. Like everybody, just go about your business. And this is kind of like just getting that conversation going. So yeah, I think something that we as readers miss sometimes is that it's not that everyone out there is on Voldemort's side. A lot of people are just like, I don't. I need more information. Like what happened with Cedric? Like I don't. That that's what Seamus always says, and people are always asking Harry about Cedric. Is because right. they don't know what's going on. And so, like you said, even just pre- pre- presenting them with facts is going to win over a lot of people and it's going to get everyone else. I mean, it at least gives them the job of having to explain that stuff away. Yeah. Yep. I think that's, I mean, it's um, super strategic on Hermione's part. Like, even if you don't win everybody out there over to the side of like Harry's telling the truth, you get that, you get people talking about it. Yeah. You have no chance if no one is hearing your side. Right. Right. And I just really like this scene where they're sitting down and opening letters and then Ron, Ron's opening one is like, and just scan it through. Okay. You know, this person agrees or, you know, thinks, thinks you're crazy. And Fred just like starts opening. He's like, Oh, we're opening a bunch of letters. That's cool. Like I'll open letters with you guys. You know, this person's of two minds. Um, (laughs) <laughs> it's just like you can really tell who Harry's friends are. They just kind of like sit down with him and start opening them up. And Umbridge is like, uh-huh. oh, you're breaking the rules by getting too much mail? Detention, I guess. Yeah, I'm really uh, curious to see who they cast for the role of Umbridge in the movie because I don't, I don't have like a clear picture of what I think she should like I in previous books we've we've met new characters and I've got like a picture of what I think they'll be or like an actor or actress that I think would fit the role mm-hmm. as I know them from reading it and yep. like with Umbridge I don't have that who would you cast as Umbridge right now well in my head well I guess I do have some sort of rudimentary image in my like it's for me it's the teacher from Matilda um Mrs. Trunchbull? 
I oh, think so. It's been a really long the time nice since teacher I... or like the no, mean principal no, no. teacher. The, the great big lady yeah. with like the super tight bun on her head. Yeah. Yeah. M- Madam Trunchbull or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's like a, so it's like a one third scale model of Madam Trunchbull. Yes. Okay. I like that works as far as like the toad face thing. I think that's where I get it. Yeah. Is there anyone else that you would you could picture casting like an actress that you could name, or an actor? Um, I mean, pretty much the only thing that has come to mind is this this Trunchbull lady that you're talking about. Yeah. So I don't have any others, but that's a good question. I mean, I, I guess most actresses are, you know, like leading actresses are cast because they can they're beautiful or whatever. So it's hard to pin one of those people down as an umbrage situation but you can use makeup and all that kind of stuff right rogi give me just a second yeah pop the freshetta in the oven <laughs> yeah some kitchen fresh pizza what were you asking me it would be really awesome if you made me one Are we talking like a plain quesadilla? Are we getting some chicken in there? Hey, Hannah. Uh, we got some chicken in there. Yeah, some tomatoes, onion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a lot better than just like cheese in a tortilla. Absolutely. Mix it up a little bit. All right. I'm back. Um, so then Umbridge does the thing where she's like, and now you get expelled if you are caught with the quibbler. Like, you can't read this magazine. And it's just the most obvious thing, like Hermione says, you're just ensuring that everyone's going to read it. Yeah. Which I feel like, I don't know if Hermione intended that as well, but that is the most brilliant part of all of it. Yeah. Is that now even the people who didn't really care, who were just kind of like, ah, whatever, like maybe Harry's telling the truth. I don't know. I'm just going to go to class and do my thing. Yeah. Now they're like, Oh, well now I want to read it. Right. And it doesn't seem that hard to get around this because you can just like read it up in your room or something. Yeah. Yeah. This like decree or whatever is laughable at best. Yeah. It's just getting to the point where it's not even pretending to be official. Like this is so, it's so specific. Yeah. It's getting out of control. Sweet. Um, the next point I had here is Harry's dream. Harry has a big dream about um, with a lot of names in it, like Rookwood and Avery and Bode. Um, we're on pages five eighty four to five eighty five, and I, f- I know it feels yes. like all book we've been saying. Okay, and then let's get into this dream that Harry had. But this is like, there's straight up like specific conversation going on. Yeah. And so once again, Harry is like in the place of Voldemort. Yeah. I wondered if you had any theories as to what this discussion is about. I mean, he discusses it with Ron and Hermione, but. Yeah, I don't really understand it, to be honest with you. But 
it definitely seems like it's related to this weapon that Voldemort's after and that like uh is it Avery that Voldemort is mad with or like yeah. I said this was all sort of yeah, so not we, sure so we can run through it here um, Voldemort's talking to Rookwood who's one of the dudes that just got busted out mm-hmm. and who also is one of the dudes that our guy Karkaroff snitched on Oh, okay. When he was like, oh, Snape's a Death Eater and Barty Crouch Jr. And, or no, that's just in the movie where he calls out Barty Crouch Jr. Yeah. Um. So Rookwood used to work in the ministry and he's like, Voldemort, I don't know what you've been doing, but like this plan isn't going to work. Like that's not how whatever this is works. And he seems like he knows some more in the the ins and outs of whatever it is that they're trying to get or do. Yeah. And Voldemort's like, but Avery told me it would work. He's like, yeah, Avery's wrong. Um, it was never, it was never gonna, it was never gonna happen like that. Yeah. Which I find interesting that Voldemort is relying so heavily on other people. Yeah. Not, not a super Voldemort move historically. Right. But I guess this is just like an area that he doesn't know about. It's not magical theory or just magic. It's like the specific bureaucracy of, you know, something in the ministry, and he never worked there or anything. So, right. I mean, as far as we know, I guess. Which I think is going to be a weakness moving forward, right? Like, this is an area that he maybe doesn't know how to just dominate with his power. Yeah, like and apparently it's something you can't just bowl through with sheer fourths. Yeah, right. Maybe with sheer snakes, but maybe. Um. So then we've got another occlumency lesson with Snape, where Harry. So this is the one where Harry fights back, and Harry uses a shield charm to stop Snape looking in on him, and he, Harry gets into Snape's mind and sees some of Snape's memories. Mm-hmm. Which is a little bit of a window into what sounds like a troubled childhood. Yeah, it's not exactly a birthday parties he's looking in on. It's like his parents fighting and him getting made fun of and um, just nothing nothing happy by any means. So does that change any of your thoughts on Snape? I mean, we're, we're obviously going to get in later to more Snape yeah. memory. So maybe yeah. we should just save it for that. Yeah, because it, it started to and then it really added perspective with what happens later. Yeah. Okay, we can just talk about it then. Um, this scene rolls directly into Harry showing up at Trelawney's um, firing. Yes. So walk me through that. Yeah, so Trelawney's like freaking out in the what I think is just like the middle of the hallway. And there's like students gathered around and everything. She's like 
sobbing uncontrollably and shrieking and like freaking out. And Umbridge is just standing there smiling and explains to her like, like, you know, talking to her like she's a child, like she has everybody else. And just like, how did you expect? Like, what, what did you expect? Like, you're a terrible teacher. And so I'm firing (laughs) you. And is this the most aligned you are with Umbridge in your life? Um, not that you totally agree, but you're like, I, I don't, I can't argue that she is not a terrible teacher. I, yeah, I would never say that I'm aligned with Umbridge, but I, it's hard to defend. Yeah. Trelawney's like skill set. Right. Um, because it's, I don't think that Harry, Ron, or Hermione have learned really anything from that class. Um, but she's just like Umbridge is being super cruel about it, and has kind of like humiliated her in front of the students. Oh yeah. And McGonagall kind of tries to comfort her, and Dumbledore. It's kind of this epic scene where Dumbledore flies through the doors and is like, yeah, she's she's not leaving. You can fire her, but she's not leaving. Dumbledore is just the master of these technicalities. Oh, yeah, right. sure, fire her, but what, I don't know why you'd think you'd be able to send her away. And it's like, okay, Dumbledore. Like, obviously she thought that firing means leaving, but he's just yeah. able to, like, pull power moves with what power he does have left that is in the loopholes, I guess. Yeah, he would be an excellent lawyer. Yeah, I mean, we saw that in Harry's trial, too. Right, right. Um, And then that gets us, and then Umbridge is like, oh, yeah? Well, what about the next teacher that I'm going to put in that needs her, that needs to use her room? Right, and Dumbledore's just kind of like, oh, you you mean the one I already hired that I'm about to introduce you to? She's like, no, I get to hire teachers. He's like... Umbridge, read your own decrees. Like, it says you only get to hire people if I can't find someone. Like, yeah. chill out. Yeah, this was um, probably one of the more satisfying moments so far of this book. Yeah, so talk me through. I guess it's not talk me through, but um, we've got a couple. We can sort of lump these together. We've got this, the introduction here, and then the first divination class, but Ferenzi, the centaur, is the new teacher. Yeah. And that sounds awesome, dumb, cool. Um, Just peculiar. (laughs) Kind of an interesting choice. Yeah. Uh, Especially after, like, the lesson and his whole, like, philosophy on this subject in general is just kind of like, okay, Trelawney wasn't good, but Ferenzi's just sort of like, yeah, I mean, you can't really trust anybody. Who who really knows? What is information? <laughs> yeah. So it's, I, like, I think it'll be an improvement. <laughs> He's not constantly saying that Harry's going to die. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that there's added credibility so far. But as far as, like, enhancing the educational experience i i don't know (laughs) but it also may be where like this subject in general is not one that you're just gonna like walk away 
enlightened. <laughs> That's what I was going to say is that this could just be a reflection on, you know, who are you going to get? Are you going to get McGonagall to come teach this stuff? Like, right. Like it's someone we know is a good teacher. Right. Did you have any other thoughts on, I mean, as we transition to chapter 27 here, the lesson itself? Oh, I guess we've got a couple Do We Cares. Uh, we totally skipped over an entire Quidditch match. Do we care about Gryffindor versus Hufflepuff? Oh, man, dude, with Harry being banned and Ron kind of sucks and Fred and George aren't out there, like, I've just kind of lost interest in Quidditch, unfortunately. What I'm hearing is that even with O'Harry's band, if Fred and George were still on the team, you would be into it because that's how I feel. Like, I'd, I'd watch Quidditch just for Fred and George, you know? Yeah, well, because I think that you can still be a decent team without a great seeker. Yeah. Um, you can't be a team minus a great se- you can't be a good team minus a great seeker and minus pretty much all your other talent as well. Yeah. So, yeah, I hate to be like a Fairweather fan, but I've just kind of lost interest. <laughs> so we don't really care about Ginny as seeker. I care that Ginny, if and when Harry comes back, will be a really useful. Um, crap! What's the name of like the offensive players? Uh, chaser chaser yeah she'll be a like i like that she has potential and that she's good yeah but she's like she's just a decent player on a sucky team right now yeah good stats bad team yep she's like she's the bradley beal of hogwarts quidditch right now she would probably be a decent flex play in quidditch fantasy (laughs) yeah (laughs) flex play but not like not a seeker one yeah, not a seeker one. That's funny. I have so like, many fantasy thoughts right now. We cannot get like, into them. It'll derail the entire pod. Like seeker, seeker three, but pretty like snitch finding dependent. <laughs> what other seeker stats are there? I like to think that you get a point for a Ronsky faint at least. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like finding the snitch is kind of what they do. So. Yeah. I, so, I mean, so every seeker is inherently super boom bust. That's true. <laughs> so maybe I'm giving Ginny a harder time than I need to. She's just not, she's not as good at finding the snitch. So it's like, based on like the, you said, she's not a seeker one. Based on the talent pool you're seeing right now, who is the number one pick in Hogwarts fantasy Quidditch? Fantasy with, every, Quidditch. with everybody, ba- like with, with current bands in mind? Yeah, yeah. Oh man. It's tough. Um... Because we don't even get to hear about a lot of the people. I mean, do you <laughs> well, go... yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Like, I don't even know the full. We know the people pool. on the Gryffindor team. Cho is the seeker on Ravenclaw. How? What round would you be comfortable drafting like Malfoy? Well, so that was gonna be what I was gonna say. As I'm gonna make myself sick saying it, but like Malfoy might be your best seeker. Yeah, I mean, we don't necessarily trust Cho. Right, Hufflepuff. We're we're just are we just writing off whoever the Hufflepuff seeker is? Um, we just don't hear anything about Hufflepuff Quidditch. Yeah. You know, Zachariah Smith is a chaser. And that's all we know. Yeah, Cedric would have been a good would have been a good pick last year. Yeah, yeah, Rip Cedric. Yeah, taken too soon. Dedrick. <laughs> Dedrick. Literally, Rip. Um, okay, good man. Love, love fantasy Quidditch talk. 
we'll have to do that'll have to be like a patrons only episode where we really like list out from the whole series like i want year i want year three oliver wood you know along with like year seven harry absolutely what's your that's like a bill simmons move yeah you get the different vintages yep that would be i think there'd be a lot there that'd be fun uh, so we're in chapter 27, The Centaur and the Sneak. Another big chapter. A lot going on here. We have... We're going to Defense Against... We're not in Defense Against Dark Arts. We're going to Dumbledore's Army. And they're doing... Patronuses. We're on page 606, 607. And I just really like this scene because... Everyone's like, "Oh yay, Patronuses!" And Harry just keeps going. Guys, don't get too excited. Uh, it's w- it's way too easy to do them in here. You don't even know what it's like against a real Dementor. Like it's a whole different thing. Yeah, and Cho's just kind of like, "Hey, don't kill my vibe." <laughs> yeah, let people enjoy things, Harry. Yeah, but he is also right. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one thing to do it with other Patronuses and everyone being happy. Yeah. Um, and then our guy Dobby bursts in. Dobby is clutch. So you're going to take, you're pretty much going to take it away for the rest of the chapter here. Just like what, what happened and what was your immediate reaction? We see Dobby yeah. and you're like, okay, did, did Winky OD? Um, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on with the Dobbs? Yeah, that crossed my mind. Uh, Dobby. Well, it, I mean, initially it was just kind of like, I mean, where's Winky? Um, but yeah, he's coming in basically to warn Harry that like uh, Umbridge knows that there's a meeting going on and she's on her way. So you guys need to get the heck out of here. And so they do. See, um, I have a lot of questions here about Dobby's allegiance to Umbridge. Like, obviously, he doesn't like her, and he wants to warn Harry. Like, he's breaking a rule. But so she's his master, and he has to listen to her? Because I thought that he, he was her employee. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like, Dobby and Dumbledore had a contract. Like, where did that go? Is he still getting paid? That's a good question. There's a lot of contractual stuff there that I mean this could end up in court yeah like is he gonna have to sue for back wages he's supposed to get one weekend off a month or something yeah definitely Sorry. bring the quesadilla yes yeah. feed him the quesadilla <laughs> give me just a second tell her to feed you the quesadilla you're not telling her I think while you eat the quesadilla, Hannah's just going to have to come on and do the pod instead of you, like in your place. That might work. <sighs> okay. Anyways, sorry. Um, Dobby comes in and warns them. He beats his face against the wall. Mm-hmm. And then, so Harry's like, uh, guys, like, I, why are you still here? Like, sprint <laughs> away immediately. Yeah, so they all just like sprint in different directions and Harry's trying to get the heck out of there and Malfoy trips him 
because apparently Malfoy works for Umbridge now. Yes, we, which I think we all should have seen coming. Um, and so from there, it's like Harry taken to Dumbledore's office to basically like Umbridge is thinking she's got it in the bag. Like, okay, I found him. I've got the evidence. Uh, one of Cho's friends is going to rat him out. Freaking Marietta. Yeah. Fudge is waiting there. Um, Kingsley Shacklebolt's there. Another one of Fudge's goons. I can't remember his name. Yeah. Plus Percy. Plus Percy, who just eternally sucks. Yeah. There's a there's a scene of him being like, ha 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 ha, good joke, minister. And you're like, <laughs> yes. Percy, literally go die. Like, I have yeah. no time for this. I just wish somebody would punch him in the throat. Um, <laughs> so Yeah, so, I mean, from there, it's basically Dumbledore finding loopholes. Yeah. <laughs> He's just... Oh, but did you think of this? He very slowly... Like, he doesn't just go, okay, here, here's, what, here's my argument, and I'm presenting it now. He, like very slowly walks him through it so that Kingsley has time to like put Marietta under a spell so that she'll lie for them and stuff. Right. And I kind of appreciate like his condescending manner about yes. it. Oh yeah. Um, just kind of like, wow, I'm really sorry, Umbridge. But as it turns out, you don't know the rules of your own decrees. Yeah. And this is why you can't just take Harry away. And you think you're going to put me in Azkaban, but you're not. Yeah, he is, like, there's just no chance that they're going to actually drag him off to jail against his will. He's Dumbledore. He is Dumbledore. (laughs) So he basically argues, hey, Hannah, come on the pod. Uh, He basically (laughs) argues that unless Marietta confirms it, you can't prove that they've been having meetings this whole time. And so one meeting is just very different in terms of how, like, punishable it is, if this is the first one. Right. Which then is, like, crucial that Henrietta can't be, like, a damning witness, which... Yeah. Shacklebolt basically takes care of. Yeah, so <laughs> Dumbledore says, well, they would be illegal if they had continued after the decree came into effect. Do you have evidence? And we're just like, uh, evidence? I got bunches of evidence. Look at this girl. She's an evidence. And he says, <laughs> oh, can she tell us about six months worth of meetings? <laughs> I was under the impression that she was merely reporting a meeting tonight. Uh, okay, tell us about the meetings. And she's like, I'm not talking. Did you see the giant word that got written across my face? <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on sneak? And, I mean, even later chose like, that was mean. Hermione shouldn't have done that. And Harry's like, uh, no, it was great. Like, she sneaked. Yeah. She's a sneak. Hermione's kind of got like a, like a nasty vengeful side that I kind of like. She does it to Rita. Yeah. Like she she is capable of being a hard case. And I like that. 
Yeah, Marietta seems, she does seem scared that more is going to happen to her, but then, like we said, Kingsley also sort of uh, helps us out by getting her to lie about how many meetings have happened, which is pretty convenient. It's not, it's convenient that Kingsley is on the good side here. Yeah, but also, like, friggin' clutch whisper spell. Yeah. Like, without anybody noticing, you just put that on her. At first, you, That's think, huge. you think it's going to be Fox walking around because Harry's like, I felt wings or like a rush of air. Right. And it was the spell going past him, yeah. Um, impressive. Did, do you like when Umbridge starts like violently shaking Marietta and Dumbledore's like, um, absolutely not. Like, we're not doing that tonight, ma'am. Yeah, I did. And I was just kind of hoping that Dumbledore would like freak out and hit her with something. You know, like a spell, like, just kind of put her back in her place. I mean, everybody kind of like stands up and it's like the classic tense scene in a movie where everybody reaches for their gun. Yeah. But I, I just kind of wish that Dumbledore would have been like, line crossed, bam! It's it's kind of shocking to me that Fudge doesn't at least be like, okay, Umbridge, like maybe, maybe not that. Maybe not like screaming and shaking. Like she's clearly lost control of her emotions there. And right, she's supposed like, to be like the senior minister official. Going to be tough to make a case for ourselves if we've also got child abuse going on. So, yeah, let's, let's at least, you know, if Fudge, if we're giving Fudge the benefit of the doubt to this point and think that he is sincerely against Dumbledore and thinks that like all these things are true, then he should at least want like due process to be followed here. Right. Um, and then we can talk about, I guess, Dumbledore's confession, quote unquote, and escape. Yeah. So he just plays it, you know, the Umbridge is kind of thinks that she's got the final say with like, okay, but look what they named their group, Dumbledore's army. And Dumbledore just real smoothly kind of plays it. Yeah, that's because I made all this up. You caught me. Why do you think he takes the blame here for Harry? Um, probably just because, like, he knows at the end of the day there's nothing they can do to him. <laughs> so it's just like, it's an act of protection for Harry. I don't fully know, really. It's kind of one of those things, like, you know he's, like, two steps ahead but you don't really know how in the moment. He would rather have to leave the school than Harry have to leave the school, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. And then he, he makes his escape. He casts some sort of spell that like knocks everyone down. And then it's like, okay, uh, here's the plan. You're going to do this, and then I'm going to leave, and it's going to be fine. Yeah, so it, I think it also like wipes their memory for a little bit. Well, it, they think that they that only one second has passed when really like two minutes has passed. Oh, okay. So they'll wake up knowing that like... Yeah, we talked to Dumbledore here in his office and we were going to like take him into custody. But 
all of a sudden he's gone. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, they know how the comment they they remember his confession and all that kind of stuff. They, okay. They thought that he just like punched him and they went down and hopped right back up, and he got away in between then somehow. I gotcha. I like when he says, oh, no, I'm not going into hiding. Like, I'm not going to go hang out with Sirius at Grimmauld Place. Like, he's just going to go on, like, a rampage whirlwind tour of the country, just being like, hey, Voldemort's real. He's here. This is happening. <laughs> yeah. His, like, unwavered confidence is yeah definitely reassuring. Obviously, probably for Harry and everybody else there, but, like, even as the reader. Yeah. Like... You're not sure why, but you just 100% trust Dumbledore. Like, he's going to be fine, and it's going to be fine. Yep. He's fine. Because Harry's Dumbledore. fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. Even, like, the dog in the burning house meme. Like, this is fine. It's all fine. <laughs> yeah. We still yeah, have Dumbledore. Exactly. Uh, that takes us to chapter 28, our last chapter here tonight. Snape's worst memory. Yeah, this was a fascinating chapter. Good. I'm glad you think so. Um, I feel like we haven't really, we've just been kind of going through things and being like, wow, that happened. Wow, that happened. But I would love to hear some like deep thoughts here on some of these. Um, so Umbridge is headmaster now, head headmistress. Yeah. And I just, I feel like this is temporary. Like I'm not, I'm not that worried about it. And frankly, if it is going to allow Fred and George to go into just full, I don't give an F version of fred and george i'm here for it and i i'm okay with it see i could not agree more like unhinged unleashed fred and george like like they say it's the best kind of we don't care about tests we can't play quidditch anymore um we we never got expelled like we always you know we're here we like hogwarts we like the kids um it's like we were, we're hanging on by a thread, yeah, and that thread just got cut. He's like, Hermione, walk me through why I shouldn't just like absolutely ruin Umbridge's life, and she can't. Yeah, I love it. I hope there's more of it. This is like what Fred and George were born to do. Yeah, it's to just cause mayhem. So Umbridge is the headmistress. We've got an inquisitorial squad. That's a thing that exists. Oh, actually, I wanted to do a quick do we care from the last chapter. Um, Ferenzi mentioned that this, he feels like they're in a, the last 10 years have been a break between the two wizarding wars, that there was a war before and there's going to be another war coming up. Do we take that seriously? Do we put a lot of stock in it? Do we care? Um, It was kind of just like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like this has, you know, they've enjoyed this time of peace with Voldemort being not like having a body. Now he's back. Like things are building. This is going to end up in a war. It's, it was just, yeah, it was kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. I think we knew that. I think for me, the way I look at Ferenzi is he gets credence when he says things like, I'm not trying to like tell the future about like, you're going to get burns tomorrow. Like that's not, that's not what seeing the future is. Like you can only look right. at really broad strokes, not specific right. things. And like so right. very broadly, I think I think information can be gleaned and something like 
that war than peace than war. Like that's the kind of thing that like fits into that paradigm, you know? Yep. Absolutely. It, that gave him a lot of credibility in my mind and probably in the students. Yeah. He's not out here like, uh, do you know someone whose name starts with J? Oh, you've suffered a great loss. Like doing the like psychic thing. Mm hmm. So Umbridge is the headmistress now, and she made like a straight up made a team of goons. Like she should, it should be called the Goon Squad. She she gave Malfoy and freaking like Crab and Goyle and whoever else, someone named Montague, question mark. Yeah, they're allowed to take points now. Yeah, like I said, like I mean, her authority and use of it is comical. Like it, like. It sucks and it's real, but it's just, it's hard to even take it seriously anymore, yeah. which I think is why Fred and George are just like, yeah, we're, we're done. Like, this is a joke. We don't want to be here anyways. And if this is who's going to be in charge of us, like, yeah, we're going to freak out right now. Like it's fascism. Like you said, to a comical degree, it's one thing to like have a government take over and be like, okay, we're going to, we've got some new rules going on, like new law and order. We, you know, this is how we're going to do things. But it's another thing to just come in screaming and be like, no, only my favorite people get to have candy. Like, like you can't just you can't just freak out. You're not going to be a respected leader that way. Yeah, it's. It's not like any of it surprises me yeah. from her end, but I feel like it's more telling of like how paranoid Fudge is. He's signing all these papers. Right. And he like he doesn't he is so freaked out about his reputation and like keeping his job title that he's just like he reads these decrees and still says, uh yeah, okay. Like, yep, I'll sign off on that. She could be like, Fudge, make it so that I get cake for all my meals and then I sit on a ten foot throne. And he's just like he's just signing blindly. Or maybe he like she is using some sort of spell yeah to forge his signature and he has no oh, idea he's just like he's like i don't want to know just make sure that nobody thinks voldemort she's got back a rubber there. stamp rubber stamp of his signature right like maybe it's just kind of like fudge has told her like look don't bother me with the details just make sure harry and dumbledore stay quiet yeah um so then now she's calling harry in and she, she, he's in her office. Yeah, so she's got what I would assume, um, Verd, Verdiserum. Is that right? So, so you're taking, you're, you're directly there. You're like, here's what's happening. She's giving Harry a truth potion because it doesn't say that. Absolutely no. She's okay. like super intent that he takes a drink. Yeah. Like she's like, can I get you anything to drink? Which, red flag immediately. Yeah. Her acting like she gives a frick about Harry. And even he's kind of like, um, no, I like, I'm good. Thanks. And now he, all of a sudden he's on alert and she's like, yeah. no, you're going to have a drink with me. She's so, so bad one. at it. Yes. Like, she's I, terrible. I don't know if you want to call it spycraft or like espionage or just trying to like, just be, yeah. ch- be like halfway chill for five seconds. Sorry. Taking a bite. It's okay. Is it a delicious quesadilla? It's super Is it a good. kitchen fresh quesadilla? 
Mm-hmm. Wow. High praise. Yeah. So she's just kind of like, no, you will have a drink. So pick one. And then she pours it for him. And then she just stares at him and waits for it. Like, like you said, she's so bad at this. She's terrible. Just really intently watching him. So Harry even like puts it to his mouth multiple times and ma- takes like a fake drink. Yeah. Or is it and down she, his own face? Like, doesn't even dump it in a plant. And she still doesn't notice. Like, she sucks at this. If she's watching as intently as JKR makes it sound, she should be able to figure out that he's not actually drinking this. Yeah. But good on Harry for having, like, the moment of insight of, like, huh, I feel like... Who is it that he sees in his mind? Um, is it Mad-Eye? Yeah. Excuse me. I feel like mad I would be mad if I drank this. I'm not going to. Like, that's a good way to live life is think about, like, what would mad I say if he knew that I had taken a drink right. from an enemy? What would He'd mad be like, I Yeah. I hate you. <laughs> You're the worst. Your vigilance was not constant. It was not constant at all. <laughs> you get a T for temporary vigilance. Yeah, and then so Harry two, does a good job of not her, drinking it. Yeah, and she's her she thinks are that he did, right? She wants to know where Dumbledore is, mm-hmm. which I, at this point I don't think Harry actually knows, even yeah. if he had drank that. Yeah. So he's not lying. And then realizes she can't get that out of him, so she wants to know where Sirius Black is. This one he gets a little more nervous, but still pulls it off. He like just keeps pretending to drink. Where is Sirius Black? I don't know. Beat search me. She doesn't ask him. I don't know about the Order of the Phoenix or. I mean, she could ask him. Like, what did you really see in the graveyard? Like, is Voldemort back? Like, are, why are you lying about that? Like, there's a lot of. Seems like more yeah. relevant. Did you have me, all these meetings? For me, this scene was like almost a little bit comforting in that, okay, like Umbridge isn't as on top of things as we might have been led to believe. Yeah. Like she has power and she's going to make their lives miserable, but she's not like an evil genius. Right. She's just kind of in the way and annoying. Yeah. And so it's comforting that she's not an evil genius planner, but it's, for me, it's not super comforting to know that, like, she is just doing all of this out of, like, incompetence and, like, she's just fueled by hate, not, like, an intelligence or revenge or, like, something yeah. that's comforting making her wasn't do well. the best word. Yeah. No, yeah. no, but I know what you mean. Like, it's good. It is, it is comforting to know that she, there isn't, Harry's not, like, trapped in some spiderweb plan. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things where, like, recklessness can make an enemy that much more dangerous. It's like, it's like fighting the Hulk versus fighting. Um, Thanos or something. I mean, Thanos is both. Thanos is also really strong, but like Hulk is just like smash, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we like we we talked a little bit about already the fireworks and the Weasley twins kind of going off and dropping their last pretenses. Um, the best these the best part of that that we've seen so far here on six thirty three is when the other teachers are all like, 
oh, well, that's technically not a transfiguration thing, so I guess, like, I'm not qualified to do it. going to have to have Umbridge come here and do it. And so, like, yep. her little, like, short, stubby legs are, like, sprinting all around the castle so that she can put fireworks out and maneuver McGonagall, like, incredibly accomplished witch who could do it, like, in her sleep. Right. That's another, it's another, like, super satisfying scene from this, these four chapters. Yeah, absolutely love it. Thank you so much, Professor, said Professor Flitwick in his squeaky little voice. I could have gotten rid of the sparklers myself, of course, (laughs) but I wasn't sure whether I had the authority. Well done. That was good. Thank you. It was squeaky and little, I thought. Definitely. Weasley's wildfire whizbangs. George said, only thing is, we used our whole stock. We're going to have to make a bunch of more fireworks. <laughs> they weren't wasting their time after all. Yeah, like they're... People have got to be lining up for that stuff. Absolutely. Um, so Harry does have another dream here. A lot of, lot, We've got more corridors. Um, we didn't, we kind of skipped over it with previous dream discussion, but he made it to the end of the corridor and into a room with more doors. Is that a good description of where we are? Mm -hmm. That's as far as he can get now. What's that telling you? Is that real? Is that like Voldemort's making progress? Are we worried about that? Um, it's not as worrisome as I expected. Like after him getting through that door. Because it just means that there's more, like there's more questions than there are answers right yeah. now. Yeah, it wasn't just like one step that was blocking him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So are we to the pensive with Snape? Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, we do have um, Harry's conversation with Cho on six thirty-seven. I wanted to bring up. Like, they're about to make up. Because Cho's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know Marietta was going to do that. And he's like, I mean, yeah, she was like a jerk. And Cho's like, she's a really lovely person. She just made a mistake. And he's like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I think... uh, It's like Harry likes Cho and then she starts to talk. And like that's when he stops to like her. (laughs) Which is... Why I don't see this relationship lasting. Purely physical. Yep. Seems that way. Harry, I thought it was a brilliant idea. Oh, yes, I forgot. Of course, if it was Darlene Hermione's idea. Harry just goes, don't start crying again. Like, I don't, I'm not here for that. I'm not here for that, Joe. That's a cold move there by Harry. It's so, it's so real, though. It's like it's it was biting. It was a good dig. Like Harry doesn't get in good. Harry's usually the one like getting dug in conversations, right. but it was good. Right. She sold us all out, including you. Cho says we all got away, didn't we? Oh yeah, except for Dumbledore. And Harry literally didn't get away. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so we are two, um, occlumency lessons. 
and they're about to get started, and Draco comes in, and he's like, oh, sorry, Professor. And he goes, it's okay. I'm just giving Harry remedial potions. Like, he did unnecessary. Oh, yeah. Just brings it up as much as possible. Yeah. And then I'm going to let you kind of take it away here. You can go into describing the memory as much as you want, um, or you can just give us your broad, your takeaways, like hit the highlights, whatever you want to do. Yeah, so I'll just kind of go broad. Um, the Snape has to... Uh, apparently Montague has come back and is like stuck or something. So Draco's there to tell him that. So he's like, I got to go get him out. So that leaves Harry alone with the pensive. Um, so Harry obviously being the curious boy that he is goes ahead and jumps right into that gets into snakes snapes um worst memories maybe or some of the worst and we end up spending a lot of time with snape as a like young teenager kind of at hogwarts and then it's james and james potter and sirius and wormtail um and Remus Lupin, all kind of like, they're just this like gang of buddies. And as it turns out, they are super mean to Snape. Um, this, they make fun of him a lot. They do a lot of like unnecessary like pranks on him. Um, and like from the, at least the way the memory describes it, like Snape wasn't really bothering them or anything. Um, so this was like, like I said earlier, just super fascinating because I feel like up until now, James Potter has been painted as like this ultimate hero that we just never really got to know. But, you know, I'm sure Harry was a lot like him. And they are like the, these, him and Lily are just like these saintly figures that are kind of supposed to be um, super positive characters in yeah. our mind as the reader. Very, very two-dimensional to this point. Right. And so this adds this whole dimension of like, no, actually, James was kind of an arrogant jerk. And Lily didn't really like him to start off with. It adds a lot of like perspective and maybe even some sympathy for Snape. We know that he had a sucky childhood at home and it wasn't any better when he came to school. And a lot of that was because of Harry's dad. Um, now, I was feeling legitimately bad for Snape during these whole this whole memory until he throws the mudblood comment at Lily. Yeah, it was like, oh, okay, you you were like a hateful tool then too. So like, yeah, you didn't deserve a lot of this, but maybe some of it because you're a racist. And, I mean, he does, you know, James had been hanging him upside down and doing, like, the bubbles in his mouth and stuff. But Snape's mm-hmm. response is to, like, slash him in the face with a curse and, like, make him bleed and stuff. Right. So, so yeah, it was just, I mean, the big takeaways are, you know, maybe James isn't as great as we thought he was. And there's a whole lot more to Snape as a character to consider than just like, man, he's just a jerk to Harry for no reason. Like, I think if uh, like I had that kind of childhood with Harry's dad, like I'd have a, I w- Harry wouldn't be my favorite student either. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, he looks just like him. He worships the right. memory of him. Right. I'm sure that dredges up like a lot of those memories for Snape. Yeah. And on top of the stuff we've already heard of, like um, when Sirius tried to get him to go down to see Lupin as a werewolf and some of those kinds of things. Right. Right. So ultimately Snape comes back and finds him there and gets super angry. Oh yeah. And throws He's him so out. mad. Doesn't want to see him again. And Harry just kind of sprints off and doesn't say much. Um, that's where we're left. But I think it says enough for us as the reader to imply that like even Harry gains some perspective on like, wow, my dad was definitely arrogant, just like Snape has told me. Yeah, Harry clearly it doesn't just like brush this off and is like, oh, yep, classic old racist jerk Snape. Like he's affected by it. And mm-hmm. you almost wish that Snape would give Harry the chance to say that. Because Snape comes in and he's like, oh, look at you, just reliving the glory days. Like, I bet you loved that. And if Harry, like, if he gave Harry a chance to be sincere, he'd be like, no, like, that was horrible. Like, I'm so sorry that my dad bullied you. Like, that was, like, I, I'm not, yeah. like, I'm not okay with it. I mean, he might not and have I, the maturity to say all of that, but, like, that would be what he would want to say. Right. And I, I kind of thought it was going to go there. And like you said, like, I mean, he didn't, like, Harry didn't really have the chance, but. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Occlumency lessons from here on out. And if Harry gets the chance to at least, you know, say, hey, I don't like I don't like the way my dad treated you. Yeah, I wondered what your thoughts were as far as how that's going to what that's going to look like going forward. Um, If we're going to be able to continue Occlumency lessons or if there's going to be a break here for a little while. Um, How this is going to affect the Harry Snake dynamic. I mean, Snape said. Get out, get out. I don't want to see you in this office ever again. Yeah, and I mean, he's in the moment, and he's yeah. mad. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately Dumbledore is going to be like, look, you don't have a choice. Right. So it's going to be awkward, and it's probably going to be more painful, and I feel like Harry is going to have to say something about it. Like, it's not one of those things you can just let it let it ride and hope that it doesn't get brought up again. Yeah, for sure. Um, But this does... I mean... Like you said, there's sympathy for Snape, and then there's also more examples of him being terrible. So it doesn't so much totally shift your perspective on him, but it just adds more color and more points to both sides. Yes. Yeah. It's like easier to understand why. It doesn't justify, but it's easier to understand why Snape feels the way about Harry that he does. And about Sirius. Right, right. Sirius, like, is supposed to, they're supposed to be on the same team right now, and he, like, this is a dude that actively bullied him. Yeah. Yep. Directly, so. That'd be tough. That's tough. Yeah. We, on the Muggles' perspective, want to come out as anti-bullying. We are against bullying. So that is bad. We feel bad for Snape about that. Just be unambiguous about that. Um, one, do we care here? Do we care about Montague and the Vanishing Cabinet? Um, initially, not really. Okay. Fair enough. That's just the only other Inquisitorial member we've heard about so far. But we, I mean, we can kind of guess like who it who it would be. It's not like it's going to be Harry and Ron. So. Right. That brings us to the end of Chapter Twenty Eight. Um, I'm not 100% sure if we're going to be able to do a full four chapters next week. We do have 
Carla coming on before too terribly long here. Good. Uh, no, it looks like we can we can do we'll get up to twenty nine through thirty two, and then from there we're gonna need to chop it up a little bit. It'll be right after that. Okay. Yep. Um. So that'll be good. Got some got some whoppers coming up in the next couple uh, next couple of chapters here, Braden. Think you're gonna enjoy it? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we. As always, really appreciate you guys listening. Um, if you have stuck around to this point, thank you so much for sticking with us, for supporting us on Patreon. We, Our number of Patreon supporters has only gone up, and we are just incredibly appreciative of that. I don't think I have Patreon as an app, so I can't look up exactly who we're talking about here. But um, we thank you so much. Anyone that's able to give any amount helps us to be able to do things like giveaways and buy equipment and things like that. Hopefully, eventually, we'll get Braden to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Orlando. Have get Put out some video content. That would be pretty amazing. If you would like to contribute to that, I feel like we haven't said the Patreon link in a while, patreon.com slash Perspective. Maybe it's a Muggles Perspective. I think it's just Muggles Perspective, though. Or the link is also in our show notes and can be found on our Facebook page and possibly on our Instagram page as well. And definitely at our website, mugglespodcast.com. Go there for links to everything, Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, and we would love to hear from you. We'd love to see some posts on Facebook and stuff like that. Uh, We also have, if you'd like to communicate directly with us, a hotline. We call it the Howler. Braden, if they want to howl in, what's the number they would call? That is 978-768-8370. 978-POTTER0, right? P-O-T-T-E-R. Yes, sir. So you can call or text that number. Let us know what you think about Fantasy Quidditch. Um, What else did we talk about this episode? Not a lot of rabbit trails. We were so on it. We really didn't have a... We didn't have really any pop culture references or sports references. Besides fantasy, I guess. Yeah. We stayed, we stayed out of the yeah. weeds here. Yeah, stayed out of the weeds. Hopefully you like that. Maybe you didn't like that. Complain to us about it. We'd love to hear your complaints via Howler. Um, thank you so much to whom I'm missing. Jeremy and Jessica, um, Rachel. Rachel's been doing some like pre-editing, like listening through and showing and like writing down timestamps of where Jessica will need to edit. So that's been helpful. Absolutely. Yeah. Anything else before we sign off here, Braden? I don't think so. Thanks again for everybody listening. Thanks, Jeremy and Jessica, and we will catch you next time. Bye. Bye.